Hi, this is Zoe Midler, the host and moderator of Not a Rocking Chair Librarian Podcast, and welcome to episode 28, Putting the Science Back in Library Science, featuring Kelsey Bogan, Library Media Specialist at Great Valley High School in Malvern, Pennsylvania, where she supports 1,300 plus students. Kelsey has an MLIS from Drexel University and in 2016 was awarded the Outstanding Student Librarian Award by the Pennsylvania School Librarians Association. Some of you may also know Kelsey as the artist slash creator of the Stick Together Mosaic Kit, Libraries Stand Together Against Injustice. As I prepared to speak with Kelsey, I asked her to share a bit about herself and her library philosophy and focus, and here's what she said. Quote, it's the best job I can imagine. I most enjoy teaching media literacy, utilizing social media for advocacy and community building, and implementing anti-racism and equity work into our collection and program development efforts. And I think social media is the single greatest tool in our librarian advocacy toolbox." Unquote. Kelsey came to my attention in January 2020 when I read her Don't Shush Me blog, and specifically her post entitled Being Visible and Vocal, Marketing the School Library. Quoting from that blog post, to have your library program succeed, you, the librarian, must be highly visible and highly vocal pretty much all the time. I couldn't agree more. Kelsey's innate talent for marketing combined with her library philosophy of continual adaptation and flexibility to meet the needs of patrons epitomizes modern librarianship and makes her my kind of librarian. I hope this conversation will amplify Kelsey's voice and inspire others to learn more about the work she's doing to market the library and librarians value beyond just the books and her data-driven diversity audit of the library collection to ensure it is reflective of her patrons' diverse cultural and life experiences, or as Kelsey likes to put it, put the science back in library science. We'll also discuss reactions, comments, and in some cases, the pushback Kelsey has received from peers about her weeding and genrefication efforts. To follow Kelsey on social media, and you absolutely should, because she's informative and a hoot, <clears throat> you can find links to her Don't Shush Me blog, diversity audit resources, and libraries stand together against injustice stick together kit. Just visit Not a Rocking Chair Librarian Resource Companion. It's a Wakelet collection. If you have a Wakelet account, just search for Not a Rocking Chair Librarian and the collection should pop right up. Or Alternatively, you can go to tinyurl.com, that's all one word, tinyurl.com forward slash resource companion, all one word, resource companion. And you can always follow me on Twitter at zmidler, Z-M-I-D-L-E-R. And remember, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Now let's hear from Kelsey. Hey, Kelsey. Hello. Hey, look, it worked. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thanks a lot for uh, joining me today. I really appreciate it. I know you've, um, you're busy. You're an uh, active teacher librarian. So thanks for taking time out. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Excited to be here. Good. Um, all right. So let's just jump right in. I wanted to take a few minutes and talk about um, where your school and library are at right now with COVID. So specifically, can you talk about where Great Valley High School is as far as, are you guys face-to-face? -face? Are you doing remote learning or hybrid? Yeah, we've been hybrid for the whole year. 
so far with students choosing whether they want the full virtual option or the hybrid in person. Mm -hmm. And so they were doing two days in um, and then three days at home with one day being asynchronous for all of us. Okay. And we're transitioning now to full in-person for those who are choosing in-person. So people can still choose their virtual option, but for those who are choosing in-person, it will be four days um, for now instead of two. So that's where we're at. We're literally doing that right now, starting next week. Okay. Exciting, I'm sure. And probably a little bit of anxiety or are people pretty cool with it? Um, well, in our state, teachers still have not been able to get vaccinated by and large. Oh, so okay. it's um, it's a bit challenging on that sure, for sure. us. Um, but people are split on it. You know, some people are really excited. Some people are not. Some people are just don't know how to feel. Mm-hmm. So what's it been like in the library? I mean, have you been open? Or, I mean, what? yeah, what's the mix been like in there? Or has there been a mix at all? It's been very not like a normal year. Right. Um, and normally it, it's, a, it's a high school library. So we have um, like this open study hall thing, like where kids are just sort of, um, they have a lot of free periods and they're allowed to go wherever they want during their free period. So the library in a normal year is like hopping, you know, 40 mm-hmm. to 100 kids every period, every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but this year they're not allowed to like just wander. So everything, because of contact tracing, everything's different. Yeah. So the library's open, but mostly it's just for kids who want to come check out books. It's not for that hangout, you know, games and hanging out and that community aspect has kind of gotten frozen. So looking forward to someday things going back to that again. Sure. So that's kind of is a good way, a good segue for me. So what do you see changing or staying the same or evolving from a library services and, and, and programming perspective, you know, at, coming out of this year? It's hard to even begin to imagine because it's like every week is vastly different than the week before right now. So mm-hmm. I can't really even imagine, to be honest. I mean, I don't even know what next year is going to look like. I have no idea. So mm-hmm. obviously we've been adding more um, sort of other options of things we didn't used to offer. Like did curbside, of course, most you mm-hmm. know, libraries have started to offer curbside, but then to try to give like that personalized bit, like they're not getting that personalization from me. So I, I was offering like a surprise me curbside where they could fill out like this form of things they're interested in. And then I would pick books to match, like match books for them. And then I was putting like little personalized things in the bags, you know, just to make them smile. So like little notes or like little bundles of lollipops or little mini makerspace takeaways. So, you know, it's kind of trying to think of ways to, build connections with them when you can't see their faces. It's a little challenging, but it gets you thinking creatively. Well, and that takes me to the next question. You've been great. You've been leading me right into my next questions. Um, so I know one of the ways that I found you originally was the blog post that you did, um, you know, visible and vocal, um, how to market your library. Uh, so how have you been able to do that? remain visible and vocal to your patrons and staff during this time. I mean, this is a great idea to do the curbside stuff and, you know, try to personalize things. Mm -hmm. So are people really taking advantage of it or are there other things that you're doing? Um, I don't know. There are some students that are taking advantage of it. Most, most of our students are so overwhelmed this year that there, there hasn't been much interest on their part for extras. The things I normally offer that are extras there, Mm-hmm. Their capacity for anything extra at all is seriously decreased. Like 
last year when this first started happening and we all shut down, it, there was a much greater sense of them um, wanting to connect. And so I was doing like nighttime read alouds on Instagram live every single night, you know, so they could connect with me and then we would chat and that kind of thing. And, um, but over the summer, the interest in these kind of extra things sort of waned, I guess they're, mm -hmm. you know, they're, their endurance <laughs> has sort of gotten stretched to the limit. Um, so there are some students that take advantage of some of the things I offer. Um, but probably the number one thing has been that students have just been messaging me in teams for like one-on-one -on -one research help. Like really just, mm. they just really just need help getting their work done right now. So it's, it's, there's just been as much interest in extra stuff, just kind of bare minimum, they need to get their work done kind of stuff, you know? No, that totally makes sense. And I, I mean, I know, I mean, I know you're probably really thrilled to be there for them for the research aspect of things, but, you know, missing that other part as well. Yeah, I mean, I miss them so much and I miss the vibe that we built. Now, I am more fortunate than other librarians who are maybe newer to the positions like this is my mm -hmm. year. So thank God I have a, a community like I've built the community. I have something to get us through this, you know, to rely on like our Instagram is already very big, very popular, very well followed. So at least I've been able to stay in touch with them. Mm -hmm. um, if I was just trying to build that, like if it was my first year, oh gosh, this would be much, much harder because it's like very difficult to start something right now. So I, I'm feeling fortunate that this happened while I was, you know, at least I had some relationships to already in place, some community, you know, they already know me. So thank thankful for that, but it's tough. I mean, I, I don't want to sugarcoat it and pretend like I've been able to m meet them where they are to any level like I normally can. It's just, it's a tough year. Mm -hmm. Has, has that impacted your feelings about librarianship at all? Well, I don't, I don't know who, who could possibly go through a year like this and not, not have their perspective change on things um, um but this is not the job that most of us signed up for or entered the profession for you know this mm -hmm. if this was going to be what it was forever I'm not sure I, that this is what I'd want to do although I probably would evolve and adapt and get excited about it again but right, right now we're living in the middle of a trauma we're not even recovering from it yet so <laughs> it's hard to really even formulate an opinion because this I'm hoping isn't the real job for much longer. So have you been asked to do anything in addition? Like I know a lot of colleagues and peers have been um, asked to go and teach classes or take over classes or be a substitute. Have you experienced any of that? Um, no, knock on wood. No, I'm really, <laughs> uh, I've been sort of holding my breath waiting for it all year, you know, because we mm -hmm. all kind of, are expecting extra burdens this year. Um, and I've, I've done other things that I've sort of chosen to take on because there are things I normally do, which aren't necessary right now or aren't applicable right now. So filling that t space with other things the school needs is something that I've done, but I haven't been uh, moved to a different job or given jobs that belong to a different job, like officially in any capacity. I've been I am fortunate to be at a school where they do value the librarian being the librarian. 
Well, that's really good. How's how's collaboration been during this time? <laughs> it's been tough. <laughs> yeah, everybody's ha cutting things out of the curriculum to get through the year. Um, you know, with us being hybrid, you're not really getting through the same amount of content as you could. And then you add in the strain of the pandemic. Kids can't move at the pace that we normally move them at. Um, so a lot of a lot of curriculums getting cut out, and a lot of times it's the stuff I collaborate on because they just got to get the bare minimum of the curriculum covered. So it's tough. It's not at all like a normal year. Now on the flip side, I've I've collaborated on different things that I wouldn't ever have normally collaborated on because there are teachers that are having to change everything, and they're like they need help or they want help or they're doing something different. So there's a little bit of a trade off, but it's it's not to the level that it is in a normal year or it's not I'm doing less active instruction full class instruction and more one-on-one -on -one working with students like that come to me through teams I would say so I want to go back to that a little bit so you said that you're doing some kind of collaborations that are different with the teachers like how so what like what what have you been doing well, just they're just doing they're doing different projects. So there's just different things to work with them on. One thing that's really different is that I, several teachers have really um, wanted me to do asynchronous content versions of things like research skills mm -hmm. and uh, media literacy skills and and even like book literature appreciation, like book talking type stuff. Like they've they've been happy to accept my offer to create asynchronous versions that they can have as their asynchronous day work so that they mm -hmm. doesn't sort of take away. And I don't mean take away in a bad way, but like they feel yeah. very um, under strain for their in-class time. So yeah. they've been very appreciative of me being flexible if they need it so that they can still get that content to the students, but also still have their, you know, their in-class time for the other things they're doing. So I would say I've done like, so, I'm sure most of us have done like so many more video recordings and tutorial recordings <laughs> and like screenshot tutorials. <laughs> sure. So, but you know, but the, but the bottom line there though, is, I mean, you're doing what a TL would do, right? I mean, we're trying to lighten the load for those teachers. Right. I mean, and, and in a way we probably never to the depth and level we never thought, but we are capable and we have the expertise in that area. I mean, so um, I'm sure they're very appreciative. Yeah, and, I, and I'm happy to do it because at least it's still doing things that are my job. It's just different. Mm -hmm. I just don't get the face to face with the students as much. Which, sure. but then on the flip side, I've had more small group and one on one interactions with students than ever before because they've now gotten so used to contacting teachers through Teams and email. Whereas in a, like, they didn't even check their email before. I like, they would never communicate <laughs> with me through email before. You know. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a really good point. <laughs> yeah, they've gotten so comfortable with, with reaching out to their teachers because it's been a full year now with this hybrid and virtual. Yeah. So I, I actually have a lot more students that are just comfortable messaging me like, hey, I'm just stuck on this. Or, hey, can you help with this? I don't even know if you can help with this, but I thought I'd ask, you know, like those kind of things. So, so I've gotten to do less full in-class person instruction, but I've gotten more interesting one-on-one -on -one reference type interactions with students. So that's been kind of cool. 
Do you think that will persist when things get back to whatever normal is? That's my hope because I like we now that our students have sort of gotten used to Teams, which is what we're using because um, we're a Microsoft school. And mm-hmm. I'm hoping that this level of comfort with having a team call or having a team chat will continue because it is like so convenient if they're like, oh, I can't figure out how to use this new how to use new tools or I can't figure this out. And it's just in Teams and I can just chat with them about it live. It's like, it's kind of awesome. So I really hope it continues like that level of comfort with that interaction because they don't always have time to come down to the library for help. So I'm hoping that this is actually a good thing. So it's, I mean, I always hesitate to say there's silver linings associated with any of this, but that could be a silver lining. I mean, the situation kind of forced everybody into accepting this mode of communication and now they're sort of, they're very comfortable with it. Yeah. And I mean, we don't, I don't think any of us wants to see all of the things we've put effort into and had to learn and struggled with during the pandemic just go away. There are definitely going to be things that we're going to be like, you know what, that's a keeper, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think I'm hoping that this, this comfort level with them with reaching out to teachers this way will be a good thing because they, they can, teenagers can tend to be timid with that. And this will maybe be like that thing that gets them over that. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, I think, I think there's, there's, um, okay, don't laugh, but there's an audit to be done (laughs) of the things that worked and the things that you'll obviously get rid of. But, you know, there's some serendipity here, I think. And and I think that's a really good point that, you know, we need to reflect on that as well and not just say, okay, we're not even going to look at those things. We're just going to go back to doing everything the way we did it before. Yeah. I feel like there's this like rubber band aspect, like people wanting to snap back into the normal shape of things, you know, and, and I, I'm mm-hmm. hoping that we will resist that because the normal shape of things wasn't great for everyone and it wasn't working for most people anyway. So yeah, I'm yeah. hoping that we're going to take some of what we learn and make it have been worth something. Uh, no, I, I, I completely hear you on that. One of the things I also wanted to talk to you about, um, these next two questions kind of tie into each other a little bit, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to talk about your library, librarianship philosophy, um, and what you want students to experience when they interact with you and the library. And a lot of this kind of revolves, I'm going to get back, this is kind of circuitous, but, you know, the whole kind of future-ready librarian movement. Um, And does that tie into any of your philosophy these days? Or, I mean, how, how does that, what does that look like to you? What is, you know, so I'm going to stop there and I'm going to let you talk about that. So I got into librarianship a little bit circuitously myself. I didn't plan on being a librarian. I didn't really have much of a plan. Um, I was one of those people who was just kind of okay at everything, but didn't really have any particular goal or plan. So I went to got my degree in art history. I was like, yeah, maybe I'll work in a museum, you know, and then turned out, oh, <laughs> nobody hires you with a bachelor's degree in art history. <laughs> so I got this job <laughs> as a background screening researcher where you had to be on the phone all day and it was hor- horrible. So they had a promotion that came up and I applied for it just because you didn't have to be on the phone. If you were promoted to this trainer position, you got to train people how to do the research. And then when I was doing that for $11 an hour, um, I was like, you know what? (laughs) I'm really good at this. I love teaching people how to research things. Are there any jobs that sort of have that? (laughs) We ended up (laughs) going to library school. So um, I didn't really come into it with any sort of 
I, I feel like a lot of people come into this profession with this like protective love of books um, and, you know, that sort of drive to be a book protector or like, you know what I mean? And I didn't, I'm a, I was an avid reader, but I didn't, I didn't ever consider the profession just based on my love of books. I never, never considered librarianship until I realized that I loved research and teaching. Um, so I don't really have that. Um, it's not really about books for me at all, really. It's, it's more about the library's space as a resource, it, whatever is in it should be serving the students. So it doesn't have to be books necessarily. I mean, they're always gonna be components, but I, I believe that the library itself should strive to adapt and flex to meet whatever needs its community has. So my students, when I started, it was very clear that they uh, are from a very high pressure society, 99% go to college, not sure how many of them are told there's other options to that. It's sort of expected and pressured. A lot of AP classes, you know, overscheduled, mm -hmm. overstressed, extremely high levels of anxiety. It's suicide risk is an issue. Um, so when I started to do needs assessments with my students, I realized that what they needed, what they told me they needed and showed me they needed, wasn't like a quiet, place to read books. They just needed a place to like take a breath and relax and just sort of be themselves and connect with the fellow students and maybe maybe take a minute to not do schoolwork. You know, these are the things they needed, maybe to take a nap. Um, so I, I kind of try to let what they need drive what the library should be. So that's kind of my philosophy is just whatever the, your community needs, that's what the library should be. So what did it look? Can you, uh, this is going to be a hard one. Can you give me like a day in the life when things were normal, um, you know, pre COVID in your space? Oh yeah. It was great. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's take a walk down memory yeah. lane. Shall we? <laughs> so um, kids would, I mean, it was packed all day, every day. So it, it was, it's kind of like you'd come home so tired just because of the energy, you know, all day it wasn't, it wasn't quiet, oh, yes. you know, there. Um, so our, our students have um, this thing called campus, which is basically an open study hall, which means if they have a study hall, and they, but they have the campus version of it, they're allowed to just go wherever they want. They're not assigned to a room. So we don't really ever know how many kids we would have any given period because they didn't have to have a pass for that. They just had it. They were allowed to go wherever they wanted. And a lot of them came to the library, which I encouraged. Um, so it was kind of an interesting because you couldn't really plan for how many people would be in in there at any given time. Um, so we would have times where it was 120 kids at once and other times where it was 20. So it, it was a pretty exciting and, and uh, <laughs> spontaneous kind of place. But it was packed full of like, um, I like to call it, so I don't know if this is a real word or not, but I just call it social collaborative activities. I'm big on I like that. <laughs> um, so when I first started there, we had some issues with um, discipline discipline issues. Um, when I first started, students were like throwing pencils in the ceiling as if they were darts and, you know, throwing food everywhere and just getting into all kinds of mayhem. And so instead of kicking those kids out and only trying to kind of create a space that certain quiet sort of reading kids would come to, I, I wondered if um, there was anything else we could do to divert their energy. <laughs> and so I added board games. And it was a huge hit. 
and our discipline issues went down. And then I added other social collaborative activities like coloring, giant coloring posters, jigsaw, community jigsaw puzzles, um, even just regular coloring pages, just something that for them to do, you know, cards, playing cards, Uno is a big one. Um, and the more social collaborative activities that I added, the less discipline issues we had. And so I just let that sort of drive me. Like, so then I applied for a grant for makerspace, low tech makerspace. I, I surveyed my students to see what they wanted in the library. And a lot of them wanted more low tech, crafty, um, socializing kind of activities like friendship bracelets, you know, beads, perler beads, which are like the iron beads. You make the design, you iron it. Um, and Lego and everything like that. That's what they wanted. They wanted reasons to get around a table with each other and put their phones down and interact with each other in a low stakes goal activity. <laughs> so I added that sure. and, and discipline basically disappeared. We didn't have any discipline issues in the last year or two, M you know, may maybe one every semester, maybe, you know, so I think the students, they, they will tell you and show you what they need. You know, in other schools, it may be the opposite. They may be desperate for a quiet, calm space. Maybe they don't have that outside of school and that's what they need. So I just, I'm a big proponent of listening to your students and doing needs assessments to see what your students or your community actually needs because it might not be what another library community needs. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm just thinking about a tweet you put up, was it you who put it up or somebody else about what, what class or what kind of training or instruction do you wish you got during your um, MLIS program that you didn't get? And I know you chimed in with wanting to know more about mm -hmm. marketing and, you know, SEO work and branding and strategy and all that stuff. And I'm just listening to you and someone who comes from a marketing background. I mean, you're doing exactly what marketers yes. do. <laughs> You're, you're, you're constantly observing and taking information from your yes. customers. And I don't, and I just don't know. I mean, one of the reasons I've, it's been fun to follow you and, and listen to you this year, um, blog posts and tweets and is just because you're, you're making the connections that I think it's very difficult for a lot of librarians to make, frankly, they don't necessarily connect those dots as um, they're a small business inside of a larger business. And you need to constantly be checking in, I think, with your customers, your patrons, and, and, you know, like you said, adapt and flex based on what they need. So I don't know, I guess what I'm saying is I don't know that you needed those classes. I think what you're doing is exactly what a person who went through a marketing program <laughs> yes, do. So, you know, I kudos to I sort of discovered <laughs> that I'm good at it, um, but I, I would have, it would have been great to have had some classes that gave you some clear, I mean, I'm just making it all up as I go and it turns out that I'm good at it. Thank goodness. That's why I was, I never used social media before I got my degree and, and then I just used it and it turned out I was good at it. And I, but I had no idea what to do. I made it all up and it worked, but the, the program should have these classes for people who aren't that lucky. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I mean, I agree. I mean, it would be great. I mean, I, you know, it was funny when I saw that person post that question this last week, I was like, ah, oh, dang, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you today. And then you put it out there and I was like, okay. So I'm like, I still want to get it into our podcast today. <laughs> so there was my way of doing it. But, um, but I do think, I think you're right. I think the programs, I mean, you know, you go through programs, the program, going through the program of getting library endorsement or getting your LIS or MLIS, 
you're doing it at that moment in time, right? It's a snapshot of what they think it's going to be like the day you walk out the door with your degree. But by the time you've done that, it's already advanced (laughs) significantly. So you're all, so you do have to make up things as you go along, but I also think there's a lot of common sense stuff that happens too. You know, like just because you build a space and have a space doesn't mean they're going to come as you found out, or they're going to come and maybe they're not using the space to its full potential. And that's what you're trying to help. I think one of the things is that some librarians come into it with their idea of what a library should be, even what an ideal library should be. And, and that's, I think, sort of the fundamental issue. If you're starting off with that as your purpose or as your why, then you're already not going to be successful because it's, the library isn't about you. It's about your community and you don't even know what they need or want until you get to know them. And you or, 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 or you will be successful with that right. group of people or those group of patrons who want that from right. the library, right? Like it might just be that, that, sec, that little, you know, group or that little target audience that um, only wants, you know, they have, they share your same sort of philosophy. about a Right. And then I think be. it's important if something works not to get so stuck on it. Like what I was doing was working. We were having more students choose to come to the library than ever. Positive feedback. Students are following the Instagram, everything. Um, but then I still do, I do at least one survey a year of students like, hey, just put it all out there and tell me what is the library doing or not doing that you need it to do or you need it to stop doing. You know, like just tell me the truth, the ugly truth, anonymous, no pressure. And um, I had several students that said, you know, I, I really do need a quiet space. I, I can't go to the library because it's always so, um, I like to use the word dynamic. Students don't that word but that's the word I love to use <laughs> I, I choose not to use the word loud I like to say dynamic um so or bustling it could yeah. be a bustling place um, and so that, that's hard it's hard to hear criticism even gentle I mean kids are so nice their criticism isn't even that hurtful um but um it's important to not get defensive if it what you're doing isn't working for everybody it's important to try to take that. Like, I was like, oh, oh my gosh, I got defensive. You know, I was like, but a lot of kids like it. You can't get defensive. You have to just ask yourself, is there a way for me to also meet this need? And if there's not, then you have to make a choice as to which need serves the most people. But often if you do put aside your hurt or your stubbornness and ask yourself, can I meet this need? Then you can sort of open the door for creative thinking. So for instance, when students were telling me that after I got over my hurt and my defensiveness, um, I started looking at the unused computer lab that was attached to the library and I was watching our district go one-to-one and start to talk about getting rid of the computer labs and turning them into other rooms. And, and then I was like, Oh, well, I mean, hmm, that room isn't really being used for anything. Maybe that should be the library's um, study room, you know, for the kids who need it. So then Mm -hmm. I was able to take that data from the needs assessment, the surveys, and I was able to, create a proposal to my principal to give me that room for that reason. And she did. So, you know, you do have to be open to disagreement or criticism. I always see librarians on the Facebook boards like, oh, this teacher came in and said a snarky comment about it being too loud or being too whatever, enter enter whatever, you know, or, oh, an administrator said this. I'm like, I don't know. Like, isn't it good to get pushed back on things though? Because we get in our own groove and we just motor along and assume we're doing it all right. But if nobody ever sort of points out something that 
doesn't work or that they don't like, I don't know how you can get better. So I try to encourage people not to be defensive about it and instead to seek to understand why the people are saying that and, and try to try to see if there is a way for you to serve that need too, you know? Um, I, one of the, you just reminded me of something that we, once I took um, a group of librarians over to the university of Colorado, I live in the Boulder area and we did a tour of their library. Um, the main library, the New Orleans library, and they had done a bunch of renovations and changed and stuff. But one of the, they said one of the things that they did that was most impactful was they just wrote up on a whiteboard and several of the kind of common areas. I wish my library knew mm-hmm. dot, dot, dot. And they just let students write up whatever they wanted. They even put like, you know, at the restaurant, when you get those cards on the table, yes. like rate my service, they even put that, those out on tables. And because, you know, you know, think about trying to survey, you know, at the yes. collegiate level, right? That's going to be much harder, but they did this. And, you know, occasionally they got some weird stuff and some inappropriate stuff, but it really informed them. And, and they do this and it's just, it's a constant thing they're doing all the time. And I do think, I mean, I'm thinking back to my time in a library, you know, it's hard to yeah. open yourself up for that. You know, it is. And, and you do get in a groove and you also sort of fall into sort of the, well, right. libraries don't do that. Right. Um, and, and sometimes you use it to insulate yourself because you don't want to try something new. Like, you know, maybe you're getting a little burnout or <laughs> the energy level is a little too high. So I know, I think that's really important, but I do understand how, um, for some librarians, that's a really difficult thing to do because, um, they might have to change something. I mean, to just be quite honest about it yeah, they or to make it, a change and change, yeah, is, change, change is hard. Is hard. <laughs> and admitting that what you're doing was wrong is hard or that it's just not working anymore. That's hard. Maybe it did used to work, but it's not working anymore, but you don't want to let go of it. Like this is human nature. We're all like this. I, I'm like a very territorial right. type A kind of controlling person. And so the last five years, no, I, not you. I, had to let, I had to let that go <laughs> because I can't, it can't be about yeah. me in the library. It's, I, you know, I'm only one of the users, not even, you know, so you do have to you do have to identify right. those aspects of yourself and and work on setting them aside because the library it, it's not about us where we're the uh, you know we are facilitators not gatekeepers right um and that's great segue into my next question um <laughs> you mentioned that you've been on a lot of social media and i know that you've received some pushback on those, uh, especially Facebook, I'm just going to call it out. I'm no longer on Facebook, so I, I can't see I can't what's happening. Um, but I do, <laughs> but I, but I do have a lot of, um, friends who are TLs who are on there and, you know, they've um, informed me about a few things, especially of lately. Um, so I guess I want to talk a little bit about that pushback. I know that I think you've received some pushback on your genreification efforts, your diversity audit slash mm-hmm. kind of weeding efforts. Um, I, I wanted to say that, you know, I experienced a lot of pushback too, especially again, when you're trying something new or you're trying to change the way people view or see the library yeah. and the librarian, right? Um, it's, it, 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 there's a lot of hand wringing and consternation. Oh, oh my God, you're not, you're not recommending that I read mm-hmm. To Kill a Mockingbird with my, you know, my students this year. You want me to try something else. So one of the things that you talked about were this sort of canon literature, you know, this, these sort of sacrosanct books that we can't get rid of and we certainly should we've got to promote and we kind of have to go along with it so 
you know, I know that you got pushed back. I know some of it. I haven't seen all of it. So I'm, I'm talking a little bit from, you know, hearsay and anecdotal stuff. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what you were seeing, but I guess more importantly, how do we engage in more meaningful conversations about this with the folks who just either, you know, don't get it, can't let it go, um, would never consider, you know, reducing the quantity of Harry Potter books in their library or, you know, this, this whole thing. I mean, I'm just curious what, you know, like, why again, what you've experienced and what you might see moving forward to make it a more meaningful conversation. Yeah. I think it it all still, it goes back to, well, humans, (laughs) we have this thing with tradition and (laughs) change, which is a whole bigger conversation, (laughs) but, um, it goes back to, I think, I really think librarians and educators and everybody, really, we need to be asking ourselves, especially educators and librarians, um, if we're digging our heels in on something, are we stopping and asking ourselves, who is this decision serving? Because I personally enjoyed the Harry Potter books very much. They're a very significant part of my childhood. Um, it's difficult for me to imagine a library not having them. And yet my students don't hardly ever ask for it. They don't come in for it. And I used to recommend it all the time. And then I learned, you know, about issues with the books and the author, um, and started to look at it with a critical eye. And and I'm, I can still admit that the books still have meaning to me, to my childhood, but they're not appropriate for me to be recommending to my students. The books have no representation in them at all, except for for white people. (laughs) Literally no good representation of anyone else. When I look in my school, I don't see a bunch of white kids. We have a lot of different kinds of kids in our school. So, you know, like asking yourself, who's the serving? The canon thing is, oh my gosh, it's so ridiculous to me. I could just go on about it for days. Um, but I am not the kind of person that really has any particular attachment to any particular book. If someone asked me, what's your favorite book? I, I don't have an answer to that. I don't have a favorite book. I just like to read. You know? um, so I don't really have any attachment to the canon. In my opinion, none of the canon needs to be read by anybody. There's no such thing as a good book or a bad book. There's just whether a reader enjoys that book or not. Um, so I don't really have any attachments, but people get very attached to these things and like, well, go be a literature professor at college then, you know, if that's what you want, go do that. Mm -hmm. That's not what this job is. This job is meant to facilitate access to the information and resources our community needs. Our community really doesn't need a bunch of hundred year old books written by dead straight white guys. They have them. They're all free online. They don't need us for that. You know, if that's what you're, if that's your priority, then, oh my gosh, why are you in this job? You know, what, what, why, really, why are you? Why, why are you in this job if that's your priority? If keeping Seuss on the shelves is your main priority in life right now, just because of this six book thing that's happening, who are you serving? (laughs) How many students even come in and ask for Seuss books? Do they ask or do we just show them those books? You know, they don't, they don't care. Kids love the rhymes. That's all they care. Are you, are you only getting pushback on social media or are you? No, I don't, well, I'm stuff? in a pretty liberal area. Um, well, eh, mm-hmm. well, uh, I have not gotten too much pushback. 
um, but I exist in a different sphere. Uh, it's not curriculum. You know, the choices I make in the library isn't curriculum. It, right. It's a whole other story if you're talking curriculum. It, um, that would be a totally different ball game. Um, so that's why I didn't choose to be a classroom teacher. There is a reason. Um, I don't want to deal with that. But no, my school's been very supportive. A lot of the parents and students are sort of I think breathing sighs of relief to see me putting on the Instagram updates on the diversity audit and and talking clearly and and honestly about the issues in our collection and what I'm doing to change that. You know, I think there are people that are probably uncomfortable with seeing me talk about race, um, but there are a lot of people that are breathing a sigh of relief and like, oh my God, somebody's finally saying it. You know, they're. they're the vocal minority are the ones we often talk about and the ones that give pushback. But there's a lot of people that are quiet that are, are dying to see these moves happening in their spaces. They're, they're, they need to see it. So let me ask you, Kelsey. So the question also was, how do we create a more meaningful conversation with these folks who feel like, you know, it's their responsibility to turn the world on to, I don't know, um, Shakespeare sonnets. <laughs> Okay, which are which are valid, fine <laughs> things. But could the diversity audit, I mean, uh, from a branding perspective, diversity audit, just like just saying to me, right, like we don't have mm -hmm. to call this weeding anymore. This is per there's a purposeful reason for doing this and a diversity audit or an inclusivity audit. I mean, however we want to say it, do you think if. If you, I mean, have, have you been putting out what you're finding to the Facebook world, um, the Future Ready group there and showing them what that's, what's, what, you know, what you're seeing and, and how that's um, informing you? Do you think that could be a thing that they're like, okay, I get this now, or maybe I can have a more meaningful conversation? Oh, well, that's why I, I haven't given up on those Facebook boards. A lot of librarians have, and, and I get it. We have to protect our mental health too, and they can be very toxic places. The reason I haven't given up on it is because there are librarians on there that are just lurking and listening that need mm -hmm. to hear somebody talk about it <laughs> in a way that's honest and clear and not um, upset. You know, like I, I was, I was called out uh, two years ago, a year and a half ago by a librarian of color on those boards um, for saying something racist and it was something unconsciously racist you know it wasn't a slur or anything um and mm -hmm. i reacted the same way all, all all these librarians on these boards are reacting and defensive um you know combative um my, i wrote this whole long post explaining how i wasn't racist and how that's not what i meant and then i remembered what i teach my students which is if something online is making you feel emotional stop close the tab, <laughs> reflect mm -hmm. before you respond. And I went to sleep. And when I woke up in the morning, I just had this pit in my stomach and I just knew that she was right. You know, I knew it. And, and that ch changed everything for me when I realized that you can be a good person and have unconscious biases and racism ingrained into your reactions to things. And, and her incredible generosity of spirit to take on the burden of of pointing that out to me I didn't even understand at the time how big that was so I stay on these boards because I I've learned so much about what we have to do and still learning and I think I owe it to maybe another librarian will see my post or my blog post and say hey she actually just 
talks about it. You know, she just says it, you know, this is racism. This is whatever. This is what I'm doing to change it. Here's what I learned. Here's what I messed up and had to go back and redo. I think that there are people that will never be open mm -hmm. to seeing it, but there are a lot of people behind those people, the shouting people. There's a lot of people behind them that are open to hearing it. And I, so that's why I do it. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you, there are a lot of people who are lurking and listening and learning from you. Um, and they may not be saying anything. I mean, they just don't, they're lurkers. So yeah, yeah. No, so I, the person I get that. they're responding to may that. never change their opinion. Um, they're totally shut down to the new ideas, but they're not yeah. the one I'm really talking to. Mm -hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. <laughs> this has been great. <laughs> And I want to give you a chance um, to tell me about anything that you want to share. I know that you're being asked yeah, to present absolutely. a lot right now, um, um, so which is great. I think that's wonderful. I think when I even emailed you about coming on here, you know, I I I think your voice needs to be amplified, um, and I, I really do. I mean, I, like I said, it, it, there's <laughs> there's so much birds of a feather with you with me. It's like crazy, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, we'll, and we'll do another podcast on that sometime. But um, I just wanted to give you a chance. Like, are there some things you want to share about like upcoming things where you're going to be talking or presenting? Are there any victories or future plans? You know, this is your chance. I guess I would to, take this take opportunity over. just to encourage any librarians listening. Um, if you don't think you can do a diversity audit or, you know, you just you don't know how to approach it. Like, I really encourage you to do it, even if you do it on 10% of your collection or on one of your displays or one of your book lists or your current purchase list. You just really look at what you're buying and what you're not buying and what's there and what's not there. The data I collected has been so important because I thought I was doing really well. I, I was purchasing, I thought intentionally. Um, and then I, you know, pulling the data and seeing what I've been buying, I realized that I haven't. I, we have almost no books in the library that feature boys of color doing things other than enduring uh, trauma. We don't have boys of color fighting dragons or saving dystopian empires from their, you know, leaders or solving mysteries like Sherlock Holmes um, or doing anything except for playing sports and surviving trauma. Like the, I thought I was doing really well until I ran this data and I saw what I wasn't buying and I didn't notice I wasn't buying. We have almost no books with Lat Latinx characters and we have a huge Latinx population. So even if you think you're doing great, I encourage you to put the science back in library science and get some data because I promise um, our biases are, are so ingrained and so unconscious that um, a lot of us aren't doing as well as we thought we were. You know, we need the data. We, that's why it's a that's why it's a master of science. That's why this is a degree. Um, so that's what I would like to take a moment to encourage. I think it's so important. The data has just opened my eyes entirely to where these gaps are that I didn't even know I had. So that I would just that's what I would plug right now. I guess. No, that's great because I like I uh, I will put a link to. Um... Uh, I know on your website or is it your blog, um, you have um, screen caps of some of the diversity audit stuff that you've conducted. So if people have questions, they can look at that. And I know that you just concluded um, a talk 
where they recorded that. And there's a wakelet link that we'll put on here for show notes so people can go find that. Because we didn't spend right. the podcast talking about your diversity audit and what that entailed and what that meant, because I think you're talking about that a lot right now and you have a lot of stuff out there. So people can go find that and learn about it. And I do encourage people to do it. And I think you're absolutely right. It is time to put the science back in library science. And you're not just winging this. I mean, you are thinking this through and you're, you are collecting the data on it. So we'll yeah, make sure we put a link great. to that information um, out there. Yeah, not a problem. Okay. Fantastic conversation. <laughs> I'd love to talk to you for another hour. <laughs> But you have a life and so do I. So, um, but maybe we can reconnect when things yeah. become more normal for you. Um, I'd like, I'd like to know how some of the initiatives, you know, I'd like, I, I will, I'd like to hear what you guys reflected on about what's working and what didn't yeah. work, what you kept specifically for library. And, um, and I know you have the diversity audit is just one of the initiatives and the genrefication process. And I'd love to come back and, and maybe talk a little later and see how those things kind of you know, panned out for you and, you know, yeah, your student, yeah I'm excited to get more feedback to too, because we're in the beginning stages of it all. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So um, I'll try not to be gum on the bottom. <laughs> Anytime. Issue, but, um, you'll probably hear from me again. <laughs> yep. It was great. <laughs> Thanks, Kelsey. I really you. appreciate it. Bye. Okay. Yeah, you too. We'll talk later. Bye.